0: Find your place today in your Bible at the book of Ecclesiastes, and we 're going to be looking through this entire chapter, chapter nine, uh, chapter nine verses one to eighteen and you say pastor are we 're going to read all those verses. Well, we might we might not, but we 're going to glean the truth that's that 's found here from this passage of scripture. I think all of you agree, all of you know that perspective is very vital. It's very important. What your perspective is, is very vital. It's very important. A number of years ago, uh, Oliver Stone came out with a movie about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And I didn't see the movie, or at least not all of the movie, but it introduced the idea or at least uh, expounded on the idea that there were multiple shooters, that there was a conspiracy that was going on at the assassination of our president. During that particular time, I can remember, um, you know, thinking about that incident. I was uh, six years old when that occurred. And I can remember thinking about that incident as an adult uh, over these past years with the Oliver Stone movie. You know, I saw uh, saw a lot of video, a lot of documentaries about that. I um, I did some reading on it, just out of interest about it. And you know, it seemed to me it was very difficult for Lee Harvey Oswald to be able to shoot as many times as he did from a window at such a great distance, and to be able to hit the president as he did. And almost lends itself or lended itself at the time to the idea that there must have been some kind of a conspiracy there surely had to be more than one shooter than just uh, lee harvey oswald because all i could see was dealy plaza on in pictures and on video all i could see was the book uh, the book depository building and the other buildings They, they seemed so distant and so far away well, a number of years ago, one of our family members, our son and daughter-in-law and grandson, moved out to Dallas, Texas. That's where they live now. And on some of our visits to Dallas to visit with family, they have taken us to Dealey Plaza. And vi- visiting Dealey Plaza changed my entire perspective on what, what happened on that day when John F. Kennedy was shot. It wasn't nearly as big as I thought it was. It was much more compact. Uh, The book depository building wasn't nearly as far away as it seemed in pictures and on video, and for that matter, the Parkland Hotel, the Parkland Hospital, wasn't nearly as far away as, as I thought the hospital had to have been. And it made more sense to me, having seen it, that there could have been the one shooter, Lee Harvey Oswald perspective changes the way you think about things perspective changes the way you approach life perspective changes a lot of things for for instance can you remember when you were younger some of you still are but can you remember when you were younger and you thought when somebody was 60 or 70 years old man they're over the hill they're old can you believe how old my parents are they're in their 60s and their 70s can you believe how old they are and then you turn 60 and 65 and 70 and you realize that your perspective changes. And 60 isn't nearly as old as you thought it was. 70 certainly isn't as old as you thought it was, right? What, what's changed? I mean, you're the same age, they're the same age. What's changed? Your perspective on things has changed. As you're reading through the book of Ecclesiastes, you're reading a man whose perspective is impacting the way he sees everything in life. His perspective, he calls it numerous times as under the sun. He's looking at life from a purely secular point of view. He's seeing it as only a human can reason it. He's not seeing it from God's point of view. He's not looking at it through the revelation of God. He is only looking at it from what his mind can comprehend and what his mind can take in. And consequently, when you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, as many of us do reading through the Bible over the course of a year, if you don't know how perspective can change your point of view, you'll read through the book of Ecclesiastes and you'll think to yourself, what's that book even doing there? Why would God even put that in the Bible? It doesn't make any sense. Some of the things that he says are outlandish. They're humanistic. I mean, why would he say those kinds of things? And yet the fact of the matter is that we ask a lot of the same questions that Solomon asked. We're concerned about a lot of the things that Solomon was concerned about, even though he wasn't seeing it from God's point of view. He was seeing it only from man's point of view. In chapters 7 and 8, Solomon has been wrestling with this whole matter of why the good suffer and the bad seem to be blessed. Things didn't seem just. They, they just didn't seem fair. I mean, if you're living right, that ought to result in good things in your life. And if you're living bad, that ought to result in bad things happening in your life. And yet the opposite of both of those seemed to be true too often to him. And the only way he can reason is the way everybody else reasons, like most of the world in which we live reasons. And life takes on this dark perspective it looks different to us because he can't see what others who look through the revelation of god can see he was married to many foreign women who had turned their hearts away turned his heart i should say away from the one true god And in the process, he had lost that spiritual view. He had lost that heavenly view. <clears throat> and now an old man, he is an old man when he writes these words. I don't know how much longer he has to live, but you know, he's, he gets up and he looks in the mirror and he sees his mortality every single day. And then he looks back across life and about the experiences of life, and he recognizes that something's wrong here from the way I see it, From my human reasoning, something's wrong here. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And you almost get the feeling that there's moments when Solomon is depressed as you read through the book, and I think probably he was. Uh, When you're looking at life only from the human perspective, it only adds to any depression you've already got. When he gets to chapter 9, he's going to come to some conclusions. And by the way just for those of you that are staying with me over the coming weeks, he's about to turn the corner. Some of you are thinking to yourselves, oh, thank the Lord. Please, the sooner the better. He's about to turn the corner. But before he turns the corner, he's going to make the point one more time that from his point of view, not God's point of view, but from his point of view, from a humanistic reasoning, life just doesn't make sense to him. And things that are, shouldn't really be, and things that should be really aren't. And he's just wrestling within himself with trying to understand the injustices and the unfairnesses of life. He just can't get his mind wrapped around it because he only sees it from one perspective. And that's not God's perspective. If you look at chapter 8, at the end of chapter 8, you sort of pick up the thought In verse 16, chapter 8, verse 16, he says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. There's his perspective, under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. In in essence, what he says, I've looked back, I've tried to reason this out, I've tried to understand what's going on in life. It doesn't make sense to me, and the harder I try, the more nights I give up, without sleep, thinking on it, pondering it, turning it over in my mind. The fact of the matter is, I just can't understand the work of God. It just doesn't make sense to me. As a matter of fact, in verse 17, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but I want to draw it to your attention. Three times he says, you can't find it out. He says, a man cannot find out. He says it in the middle of the verse, he will not find it. At the end of the verse, he says it again, he, he will not be able to find it. The fact of the matter is there's a lot of things that happen in life we're just not always going to be able to understand or explain. And you're going to have to get used to that. You're going to have to get used to that. I have to get used to that. There's things that we just can't understand and we just cannot explain. They may not make sense to us. But now he picks it up in chapter 9 wrestling with what's going on around him, trying to reason it out, trying to figure it out, trying to get, some, you know, get his mind wrapped around it and not being able to do so. And he's going to reach three conclusions. First is that death is unavoidable. The second is that success is uncertain. And third is that life is unfair. And you say, Pastor, I'm going to go away encouraged today. I can just feel it. <laughs> Well, can I just say to you that if you're looking at life the way Solomon was looking at life, then you're going to be depressed. You're going to live depressed. If you think you have to understand or that God has to tell you everything that he's doing and explain everything that he's doing in life, you're going to live depressed most of your life. God does not owe us an explanation for anything that he does, number one. And even if he explained it to us, it would be like a microbiologist explaining his trade, his his work to a flea. You could never fully understand it or grasp it anyway. And the fact of the matter is that God is at work even when we don't see it or understand it, and we have to accept that fact. And so he begins in chapter 9, verse 1, by reminding us that death is unavoidable. For I considered, he says, verse 1, all this, all what? All that he's been thinking about, all that he's been pondering, all of the work of God that he can't understand. I consider all this in my heart so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works, now listen, are in the hand of God. Do you begin to feel him turning a corner He's about to turn a corner in this book. He's beginning to recognize that while I can't understand it and I can't explain it, there is a sovereign God over it all. Think about that with me for a moment. Isn't that a comforting thought to know that there's a God who superintends everything, even the things we don't like and even the things we don't understand, that there's a sovereign God who superintends it all so that nothing comes into our lives that God does not either allow if he does not sin, that is not under his control, that everything works itself out according to the plan of God in our lives? Isn't that a comforting thought? Think with me for a moment about my atheist friends. I don't have many, but I have a few atheist friends. They don't believe in God. They don't believe the Bible. They don't believe in Christianity. They don't believe in an afterlife. They, they don't believe in eternity. They don't believe in anything. Life is all about happenstance. It's all about chance. It's all about luck. Whatever happens to them in life is just well, yeah, you know. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. It's just a, a lot of bad luck for you. It's just a, you know some bad circumstances for you. And then when it comes to the end of life, all they have is a a hole that's six foot deep, and that's all they have to look forward to. And they're thinking it's the end, that's the end. So, you know, I I just don't have anything else. Can you imagine how miserable it would be to live that life? you got to do everything you can to make as much difference, but the reality is no matter how much difference you make, when you get to the end, nobody's going to remember it anyway. And it was never a part of any grand plan that somebody was working out, a God in heaven was working out. And even the bad things in my life is just, you know, I don't know why they happen. They just happen. It's just the way it is. It's just unlucky. I got this disease and it shouldn't have ever happened. The fact of the matter is I just got it. It's happenstance. And they they, help, they live their whole lives thinking that there's no meaning and there's no purpose to anything that's going on in their lives. Can you imagine living your life like that? I don't think I'll ever swap out my, my faith in Christ, my faith in God for atheism. Because I recognize that while I may not understand it and I might not like everything and I might not be able to explain everything and everything doesn't make sense to me, I recognize that all of these things are in the hand of God. God is the sovereign one. And if something comes into my life, then God has allowed it or God has sent it and God has a plan for it. And when I get to the end of life, it's not what's in the hole six foot deep, it's what's in heaven. That I have to look forward to. And then I'll have an understanding that I don't have now. And God will make sense of things that don't make sense now. And I'm going to trust him through the course of this life. And my life matters. Every moment of my life matters. How I live when things are good. How I live when things are bad. Every moment of my life matters. Because God is using my life to make a difference in somebody else's life along this pathway. Solomon comes to that conclusion. He says, I've I've wrestled with this day and night. I've lost sleep over it. I don't understand the unfairness and the injustice uh, injustice of it all. It doesn't make sense to me. I I can't explain it. I, I can't wrap my mind around it. I wanted to be able to understand it all. But here's my conclusion. Everything is in the hand of God. God is the one who is in control. I look at the world around me and it seems like it's spinning out of control. I look at the Delta variant and vaccinated people getting the virus. My neighbor, a vaccinated nurse, got the virus. And I wonder, what in the world is going on? Or I watch the news in Afghanistan and I watch the Taliban taking one city after another city after another city, moving in on Kabul. Kabul. And the evacuation of Americans and the British and others who were there in the embassies trying to get them out before the Taliban, these killers come and destroy more lives. Or I look on the West Coast and I see fires that are just destroying hundreds and thousands of acres of ground. Or you watch the storms that are coming up through uh, the Gulf back-to-back storms, tropical storms at this moment, hopefully not hurricanes, but they have been on many occasions tropical storms that turned into hurricanes that come ashore and destroy houses and flood buildings and take away people's businesses. And you go to the hospital and you see people who otherwise healthy should have a long life ahead of them, and yet they're fighting every moment of their life to just stay alive. Or you visit that child who was diagnosed with some incurable disease. That child has no idea what's going on. They don't even understand death. They don't understand the treatments. They don't understand what they're facing in life. That's why they don't have the fear that you and I have when they tell us about it and when they talk to us about it and you say, what in the world is going on? I don't know all that God is doing. And I can't wrap my mind all around all of the sovereignty of God. But the one thing I know is that everything is in the hand of God. And that there is a day, one day, when we'll stand before the Almighty. And the Almighty God will help us to see things if we need to. If we need to have it explained at that moment. He will help us to see things that we cannot see in this life. And our faith in God, knowing that there's a day when the justice of God will settle these things that seem so unjust in this world, our faith in God that he'll be here to comfort us and to help us and to strengthen us and to love us and to care for us, even when life is difficult, is what keeps us going. Knowing that a hole is not the end for me, that heaven is the end for me he says people know neither love nor hate hatred by anything they see before them in other words what what they're experiencing they they don't know whether it's the favor or the disfavor of God and then he makes this statement verse 2 all things come alike to all one event happens to the righteous you know what the one event is It's death. By the way, you're about to read six uh, pairs of opposites because he's emphasizing the totality of this. This one event happens in totality to every single one of us. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked. Here's the first opposite. To the good, and it's implied, the bad. The clean and the unclean. To him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears, uh, no, who fears an oath. Six opposites, six pairs of opposites, he brings the bear on it, meaning that I'm giving you the totality. Everybody has an appointment with what? Death. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. I don't know if you have checked the statistics of late, but the mortality rate is 100%. You say, Pastor, you're not encouraging me. Well, I'm I'm about to. Stick with me. Hang hang with me here a moment. I got to take you where you got to go so I can get you where you're going to end up, okay? The fact of the matter is, all of us have to wrestle with this reality. You know, when I was young, I never thought about death. Did you? You might have, if there was somebody in your family who got sick and died, or maybe a, a, you know, a mother or a father, a brother or sister, you, you might have thought about it. The reality is, for the most part, I didn't think about death. As, as, as a matter of fact, as a teenager and a young man, I, I felt pretty uh, uh, invincible. Did you feel that way? You thought to yourself, I'm going to live to be that old man of 60 going to live to be that old man of 70. I'm going to make it. I've got no worries about it. You feel pretty invincible. When you're young, you're daring. That's why you drive like you drive, like there is no tomorrow. That's why you take the risks and the chance. Yeah, you like the adrenaline rush, but you know more than just the adrenaline rush, you're just not afraid of it. You're just not afraid of dying. Nothing can happen to me. That's how you sort of live out your life when you're young. But you know, you move into those middle years, you start coming to, to reckon with your mortality. And then as you get older, you realize that the years ahead of me are way less than the years behind me. And you recognize that one event happens to everybody. That one event is death. Listen to how he feels about it, the outrage. Verse 3 This is an evil in all that is done. And notice his perspective under the sun. I mean, to me, this doesn't make sense that one thing happens to all. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. And I'm not going to preach that again. I preached it last week. We're all sinners. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Wow. But then he says something. It's important. We're going to spend a few moments here. Verse 4. But for him who is joined to all the living, will you notice the next three words? There is hope. I like hope, don't you? I love hope. Have you ever met somebody who's lost hope? The moment you lose hope, you start dying. I've been with people who've gotten diagnosis, a diagnosis that seemingly was hopeless and they gave up hope and it wasn't long till they were gone. Because when you lose hope, you begin dying immediately. And you hear what he's saying? I understand that what's going to happen to everybody is going to happen to me. What's going to happen to me is going to happen to everybody. One thing happens to everyone, and that is death. But if you're alive, he says, there's still hope. There's still hope. He says, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. (laughs) A living dog is better than a dead lion. The lion was the king of the jungle. He is the king of beasts. He is the king of the natural world. You realize in Solomon's day, dogs weren't pets. You know how we keep them indoors and they sleep with us and they lick us in the face and all the things that dogs do. But in Solomon's day, dogs were scavengers. They ran in packs. Uh, They were threatening the human beings. They were threatening the children. But even a Living dog is better than a dead lion. Why? Because as long as you're alive there is what word? There's hope. As long as you're alive, he says there is there's hope. Notice verse 5, for the living know. They know something. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. At least if you're alive, you still got some things to do. You can still feel some things. You're going to go through some things. There's some experiences that you can have if you're alive. The living have hope. By the way, can I stop here for a moment? Can I tell you that The greatest hope there is is the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. The hope that you'll have with Christ when you're standing in his presence. The hope that you have even before you're standing with Christ in his presence because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Do you realize that for the believer in Jesus, we always have hope? Even in death, we have hope. Even in disease, we have hope. Even in the difficulties of life, we have hope. You know why? Because we serve a God who, if he chooses to do so, can do the miraculous. When the doctors can't do anymore, the God of heaven, the great physician, if he chooses to do so, can do the miraculous. And if he doesn't do the miraculous, he delivers you out of this world of pain and sorrow and difficulty into his very presence. And there is no more sorrow, when there is no more pain, and there is no more death, there are no more tears, and all of the things that we've become associated with in this life that are such a struggle for us to deal with. There's hope if you're alive. i, I got good news for everybody here, everybody watching me, everybody that will hear this down the road somewhere. There's hope. You're, living, you're, you're alive. Your, your ears are still working. They might have hearing aids in. I'll be listening. May, unless you've turned them off. Forgot after you left your house this morning, you know, listening to your wife, you forgot to turn it back on. <laughs> or maybe your husband. You're alive. Your heart's beating. There's hope. There's hope. There are experiences that God wants you to have. There's things that God wants you to go through and, and see in life. There, there's joy that he wants you to have in this life. Do you get it? He says, death is unavoidable. Now, this is where it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me that people don't prepare for what is unavoidable and what is inevitable. They just live their lives as if it's not going to happen, as if it's not a reality, as if somehow they're going to escape it. And the Bible only tells us of one Uh, one way to escape it, and it's something that is still a yet future event related to the coming of Christ. But beyond that, every one of us gets out of this world in the same way, and yet we prepare for retirement, and we prepare for our children after retirement and after we're gone, and we prepare for this, that, and the other, but we don't stop, and we don't prepare for eternity. Why? One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good and the clean, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who sacrifice, those that don't, the good, the sinner, the one that takes an oath, the one that fears the oath. Death happens to all of us. Why would you not prepare for what is eternal? What is everlasting? What never ends? Why would you not prepare for that? Some of you are holding back. Some of you are holding on. Some of you are letting your pride keep you from coming to Jesus Christ and surrendering yourself to Jesus, trusting in Jesus alone. You think maybe in the last moments of your life, somehow you know, at that moment, that last moment of your life, you'll say yes to Jesus and you'll trust Jesus in the last moment of your life. But the reality is most people leave this world in an unconscious state. While it's possible, even to the last moment, the last breath you breathe, to be able to call on the Lord and become a child of the living God, why would you do that? Why would you gamble like that? Why would you play with eternity like that? Why would you not take it seriously? Why wouldn't you stop and think about, I want to prepare for this, like I prepared for everything else in my life? It was September 11th, 2001. We got up that morning just like every other morning, didn't we? I had a funeral that morning at 11 o'clock. I was watching the Today Show at nine o'clock, or right around 8:30 to nine o'clock, waiting to go to the funeral home to be there by 10 o'clock to meet the family. And the news began showing a plane has flown into the World Trade Center, one of the towers of the World Trade Center. I couldn't get my eyes off of it. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. At first, they thought it was maybe a private plane, some kind of an accident that possibly had occurred. I left the house to get to the funeral home, and they had a television on back in the office at the funeral home. And after I visited with the family for a little while, I went back and I watched back in in, in the back office that unfolding drama of that day. And another plane was shown flying into the World Trade Center. And then suddenly, air traffic everywhere is shut down, putting all the planes on the ground. We're putting the president in the air. We're going to protect him. We're going to take care of him. It was a pretty Saturday. It was a pretty, excuse me, it was a pretty morning, September the 11th in New York City. The sun was out. That morning, almost 3,000 people got up got dressed, got prepared for work, got their lunch plans made if they took their lunch with them. They dropped off their children at the daycares. They had full intention of going through the day just like every other day. When they got to the trade center towers, they rode the elevators up to those high offices like they had ridden those elevators every other single day. They could never have imagined what was going to unfold on that particular day. They could never have imagined what was going to unfold on that particular day. Where could such evil come from? Where could such hatred and malice come from? That people would learn how to fly planes, would take over planes, and then would crash major airline planes into buildings in order to kill as many people as possible? Sitting at their desks, taking phone calls, doing paperwork, working on their computers, thinking about the evening. Tonight, my wife and I, my husband and I, we're going to have supper together with friends, or we're going to swim in the pool, or we're going to go out for a show, or whatever else they were thinking about. September eleventh, two 2001... Almost 3,000 people went to work like they did every other day, and every event of that day was similar to every other event that had happened in all the days that had gone before. But they weren't coming home. Some, to escape the fires of the towers, found it better to jump from the tower and face the death of falling than to to face the death of burning. And almost 3,000 people died. They weren't planning on that they weren't expecting that that day you and I 20 years later this is the 20th anniversary coming up 20 years later we're still thinking about it do you realize there's children that have been born you obviously realize there are children who've been born that don't even know what that day is about unless we educate them and remind them what it's about They don't remember watching over the course of that afternoon two enormous towers crumbling to the ground, killing not only the people that were left inside, but police officers and firemen on that day. And for that matter, people that would die later from inhaling some of the things that were in the fumes that were released that day one event happens to the righteous and the wicked to the good and the bad the clean and the unclean to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice as is the good so is the sinner he who takes an oath as he who fears an oath that event happens to everybody but for him who is joined to all the living there is hope there is hope The 19th century Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle wrote, Death is the mighty leveler. He spares no one. He will not tarry till you are ready. He will not be kept out by moats and doors and bars and bolts. The Englishman boasts that his home is his castle, but with all his boasting he cannot exclude death. An Australian nobleman forbade death and smallpox to be named in his presence, but named or unknown, it's, it, or named or unnamed, it matters little. In God's appointed hour, death will come. Death will come. Death will come. Is that not a sobering thought? The fact of the matter is, you go to the world that says, you know, you're going to live forever. Just live it up and have fun and just play around with life and you know live on the edge and do all of these things and they never ask you to stop and think about death but you're going to get maybe 80 or 90 years if statistics are true you're going to get maybe 70 or 80 or 90 years if statistics are true and the result is that that's the length of time that you have in this life but there is all of eternity that comes afterwards do you know how long eternity is Eternity is forever. It's forever. And it's what you do with Jesus while you are living and have hope that makes the difference in eternity. And you're breathing. And you're thinking. And your mind is alert. And you're awake. And you've come week after week. And you've listened to me preach from the book of Ecclesiastes. And you've liked some of the things that have been said. and You've You've connected with Solomon because you've felt some of the things that Solomon has felt, but you have been resistant and you've been holding back and you said some other time, I'm going to wait till a little bit later. And the result is that now is the time. Today is the day. Amen. This is the moment to make peace with God. In None of These Diseases, a book written by Dr. David Stern, who's a medical doctor, He tells about dealing with dying patients. He told of a young man named Matt. Matt was so anti-Christian and so anti-God that he wouldn't even allow a pastor to come into his room to pray with him as he was facing imminent death. He asked that the Gideon Bible that was in his room be removed. He didn't want the Bible even in the room with him. Dr. Stern said that He had no physical pain that was going on. There was no obvious physical pain that Matt was experiencing, but he suddenly sat up in the bed. These are Dr. Stern's words. He suddenly sat up in bed, his eyes blazing, and he screamed, No! No! Then he expired. He said his wife suffered grief-driven trauma for many, many months. He said that same week that same week Dr Stern said there was a young there was a woman who was dying of cancer In her case he says there was terrible physical pain but she passed away whispering to her husband I love you John See you soon He kissed her cheek as the pastor read the words Dr Stern says read the words of Psalm 23 And Dr. Stern says you could almost feel the presence of angels coming to bear away a heavenly traveler. One of it happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the bad, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath is he who fears an oath. That One event happens to everybody, no matter which end of the scale you may be on or somewhere in between that scale. It happens to every single person. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. Listen, you're breathing today. Your mind is alert. There is hope for your eternal soul. If you come to Jesus Christ and you trust in him as your savior, there's hope. I don't know. I don't know how you'll die. I was reading about uh, the space shuttle Columbia, February the 1st, 2003. You remember that story? Over Texas, just minutes before it was supposed to land in Florida, that seven-member crew returning home from a 16-day mission That capsule began to burn. It burned streaking across the sky, the southern of the sky of the southern United States. It dropped flaming debris and burning reminders of the suddenness of death. And if you watched any of that and can remember any of that, you probably wondered what would it be like to have been on that space shuttle, that burning space shuttle. You're already on that burning space shuttle it's already breaking up as it goes. The question is, while you have hope, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Death is unavoidable. I came last week and I come this week to confront you about your eternal destiny. And my friends, If you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you have put your faith in Jesus, why haven't you stepped out and followed the Lord in believers' baptism and identified yourself as a follower of Jesus? Why wouldn't you do that? Jesus hung on a cross and took the shame that we deserve and the sin for which we should have to pay the penalty. And he took it on himself, and he didn't do it privately. He did it publicly. Why wouldn't we step out and make a declaration? I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe his death, his burial, and his resurrection is what saves me from my sin. I have no other hope, not in those waters, not in this preacher, not in this church, or in a denomination. My only hope is in Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't you step out? May I say to everybody, listen to me, young people. Why wouldn't you give your life to serve Jesus Christ the rest of your life? Why wouldn't you give your life to serve Jesus Christ the rest of your life? How are you going to use your job, your career, Or your calling to change other people's lives while there's hope because they are alive and can hear the gospel and can be changed by the gospel. I said, Preacher, I, I wanted a more positive message. That's coming. Not today, that's coming hey, there is no more positive message than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I lay awake sometimes at night trying to figure out why does this happen? Why did this occur? Why, does this, you know, why is this allowed into my life? Why was I diagnosed with the disease at 39 when people who did things far more wicked than I was doing go through life seemingly with no cares? Why? I don't know why. But I know a God who does. And I know a God who saved me through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know a God who will save you if you'll come to the Lord Jesus Christ.